You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Today's focal passage is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Feel free to follow along on the screens or in your Bibles. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. You all can be seated. Any children here can be dismissed to their classes. Good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us this morning. If you would, pray with me, and then we will, we will get rolling. God, thanks for all the ways that you provide for us. Thanks for your generosity. Thanks for the way that you open your kingdom doors to us. Would you show us today um, how that plays out, how welcome we are because of the life and the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus? Would you capture our hearts today? Would you remind us of what's true? Would you lead us to live lives that that opens wide the door of hospitality in all of the things that we have in our homes, in our lives, in this gathering, even today. Thank you for your kindness, your welcomeness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. On December 10th, 2007, my wife, Kim, and I were, I think we were leaving Target uh, in Middletown. We lived in Trenton at the time, and it was, man, December 10th. 10th, two weeks before Christmas, I think we were shopping and, and dreaming and chatting about how much our life would change in a matter of weeks, not because of some gift that we received under the tree, but because our first child was due on January 4th. So I was driving a familiar road in our brand new to us, more than gently used minivan, uh, when out of nowhere, I remember holding the steering wheel, looking over at Kim, 
and seeing a truck driving about 50 miles per hour in a residential area, ran a stop sign, and I, I had no, like, no milliseconds to even react, hit us, spun us around nearly 360 degrees. I remember like looking up, airbags, you know, deployed, looking up and seeing like the truck zigzag, hit a tree, flip over on its head. And it was wild. Um, I remember just, we were like disoriented and we got out of the the van, and I'm, I mean, she's very pregnant, and so we're just like, what, you know, like, maybe some little blood here and there, but no serious injuries, airbag stuff, glass stuff, or whatever. The neighbors come out very quickly. They tended to Kim. She's sitting kind of like on a curb or whatever. I look up, and this sounds like a movie, but I'm pretty sure this happened in real life. The truck was upside down, and like, in my mind, there was like gasoline shooting out of the truck, I run over, open the door, yank the guy out. It's very heroic. <clears throat> and, uh, and he was drunk as a skunk. And that was frustrating. A local photographer showed up on the scene just by happenstance to take photos. That was my brother. That was weird. Um, Kim seemed okay. I think I was okay. She was shaken. But what we didn't know was what was going on with, you know, then little, slightly giant Titus inside of her uh, womb. So we took an ambulance. Thankfully, there was a newly opened, not nearly finished hospital like four minutes away. Uh, Atrium Medical Center. We're old, okay? We get there, and maybe I'm embellishing, but I don't think that I am. I swear the paramedic had to like knock on the door like, like, is anybody here to get us in the door? Someone maybe just woke up, whatever, opens the door. It's dark. There aren't any lights on. This is what we're doing, huh? I mean, barely newly opened like we were the first patients they've ever had, right? <clears throat> they were like hanging drywall and we're like, hey, this is weird, uh, they let us in, and I, this is dead serious, the truth. The guy looks at us, and he was like, hey, uh, gosh, we can't find a wheelchair. Are you okay to walk? Dead serious. And I just remember thinking, like, what is happening? And we're walking down, honest to goodness, dark hallways, and they're, like, flipping breakers on as we're walking down the hallway. And we're like, what is happening right now? Like, all the anguish from an accident and all the, oh my gosh, the what ifs. And, and I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, dark hallways, no wheelchair, no furniture, no signs, understaffed. But you can bet that the, that the medical bills were right as they should have been, right? <laughs> it was the least hosp hospitable hospital I've ever borne witness to. And it was in a moment when we needed a real hospital real bad. We needed real care and real kindness and real people competent and equipped. We needed resources to meet real needs. And here's the thing. Like whether you know it or, or, or not, our natural position of humanity, it's not so different than that experience. We are all in great need. 
every one of us. And the help can't come from ourselves. We are helpless, uh, as helpless as, as, as a wounded, uh, as wounded and pregnant roaming the dark halls of life. That, that's, that's who we are. That's what, that's what our position is. And, and some of us, by God's grace, have found a great light. We have been seen by God and welcomed into his family, his eternal family for sure, but also his, his local family that shows up in expressions all over the world for all time on this earth, just like this one. But here's the thing. It is easy to forget. It is easy to forget life outside of the church, what that was like, what that is like. And I know some of you are like, it's not easy for me because y'all are weird. I'm just hanging out to be kind today, right? So thanks for hanging out with us. But some of you have been around for a long time. You've been coming you know, down in this basement for a long time. It's easy to forget what walking down the stairs of a basement for the first time looks like. Dude, I remember my favorite story, Hanauer, Adam Hanauer, one of our pastors, he talked about the first time his family came here, they moved from out of town, and he's like telling his kids like, hey, we're walking down in this basement, I don't know what to expect. If it gets weird and you see me and your, or your mom grab you, like just run with us, right? <laughs> like, which is totally fair, right? And, and they fell into the trap and they didn't leave, right? <laughs> Um, it's, it's easy to forget what, what talking to a neighbor or a friend uh, uh, about Jesus, a Jesus that you don't know, it's easy to forget what that's like. It's easy to forget what it's like opening a Bible. You don't know anything about it or where it comes from or why it's important. Opening a Bible for the first time or, or maybe the first time in a long time, it's easy to forget first prayers. It's easy to forget initial repentance, where you come to the point where you're at the end of your life and what you can offer God, and you realize that your only hope is to trust another. It's easy to forget what showing up and joining a community that speaks and looks differently than the world that you've known, or a community who finds joy in different things and, and hope in greater things. It's easy to forget what it's like to show up at a community group for the first time and open a door and think, what am I doing? Who are these people? I'm coming into the stranger's house. It's easy to forget all of those things and, and so much more, yet we must remember what that's like and who we were and what it's like to be outside of God's family, outside of Christ, outside of a church community. So our spiritual condition may be veiled by our physical realities. You might not think that you're helpless. You might not think that you're walking through, stumbling through dark hallways. You might think, well, man, I've, I've done well for myself and I live a comfortable life. And so our physical realities blind us to our spiritual condition, but it is our spiritual condition that will tell the last tale of your life. There are these now famous, you know, on the internet, famous words from a guy named Ray Ortland who pastored for years uh, a, a church called Emmanuel Nashville. And, and he opened every gathering, and I think they still do that to this day. He's retired a few years back. Uh, opened every gathering, reminding his people of their condition and their mission. And he said it this way. To all who are weary and need rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who fail and desire strength. To all who sin and need a savior. This church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus himself 
the friend of sinners. That's true to us, every single one of us. And, and by God's grace, and this is my hope, that it's true through us, that we might be a people where this rings true. So today we kick off a series, Make Room, opening the door of hospitality. And since we're hanging out here for a month, one, I am free not to say all of the words today. That's really nice. But, I'm, but I also want to start off by defining some words. And so I want to tell you what hospitality means from 1,200 sources, all right? Uh, the, the word hospitality comes from Latin. Who would have thought? I mean, Latin, they kicked it all off, and they are the origin of everything. And they did so well at, at spreading all the other words that they were like, you know what, we don't need to exist as a language anymore, right? So everything is Latin. The word hospitality comes from Latin, which means to receive as a guest. And in ancient times, it meant extending a welcome to travelers, offering a home away from home. And eventually, that idea evolved to taverns and innkeepers and, and hospitality as a service industry. is one of the largest on the planet. Um, it, it's one of the oldest businesses in existence, the, the uh, industry of service. Uh, it shares the root of words such as hospice, hostel, hotel, and hospital. Go figure, huh? Uh, what you'll see on the screen, to receive as a guest. Two Greek words, that's where all the other words are from. They're from Greece, right? And they're still doing okay. Uh, two Greek words, phylos, which means friend, and xenos, which means stranger. Hospitality is the love of strangers. The friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers. The action or practice of receiving and treating guests kindly with generosity and consideration. Or these are, are my words and my aim, my hope for us. What we want to do as a community is, is creating visible expressions of welcomeness that reflect the way we have been treated by Christ in Christ. That's what this series is, and today we get to look at how we have been treated in Christ by Christ. And, and to be clear, someone asked me, like, gosh, like, we talked about hospitality and, like, family meeting stuff that we sent out not long ago. We talked about it in leaders' meetings. We talked about it a, a lot. We're doing a series on hospitality, and somebody was like, hey, do, are we that bad? And I was like, I, well, yeah, no, no. And so just as an encouragement, we're not leaning in here because we're terrible, because we're cold and unkind. In fact, this church is super warm and kind, and I know that some of you may not have experienced that, but by and large, I, I hope and I think that if you show up and you stick around, then people will treat you warmly and kindly. And, and I got a, a text message late last night and early this morning just encouraging me by the way that you all care for someone that's, that's suffering and in distress. And so it is not just a pushback hey, what are we terrible at? Let's get better at that, right? But, but because we're at a size as a church where, where the culture of this community gotten us to this place, it is the culture that, that kind of matters most. It must be culture-wide that, that carries us. And some of that is just kind of, we need to make sure that our systems scale. And you might say, uh, to, to Scott's point last week when he talked about church center and, and church-wide communication stuff, it would be great if everything just happened organically and you just show up and everyone gets connected and they get, get to 
the group they're supposed to be and they know where to serve and all those things, but it, but it doesn't just happen by accident. So we get to be mindful and so we just want to grow in those areas to make sure that we scale appropriately, that, that we care for those who are doing the work and the labor, but we also care for those that are not yet connected or don't even know us or Jesus at this time. So I want us to be the most truth-saturated Loving, warm, welcoming, kind, gospel-formed community, spirit-empowered people in this city. That's what I want for us. That when someone stumbles down the doors of this basement, that that's what they experience. Like truth and love in action. Because our God has treated us kindly. He has welcomed us in when we were strangers, when we were enemies, when we were outsiders, when we were weak, poor, and needy, and when we had no hope at all. Jesus opens wide the door of hospitality, meeting the humble wherever they are. That's sweet. I say the words and they just show up on the screen. It's incredible. It's AI. It's organic. It's unbelievable. It's incredible. Um, in her book, Welcome, Love Your Church by Making Space for Everyone, uh, Jen Oshman, um, man, she talks about what it looks like to be a church that, that welcomes others. Um, we pass this out to leaders and have been having conversations around this. I encourage you, hey, buy this book. Uh, if you need help with that, we can help with that. Um, Jesus welcomes us. And her, her point is, is through this passage in Philippians, man, she shows us how Jesus welcomes us. In fact, the structure, the outline of today's sermon, I just pulled from the pages of, of, of Jen's words. Um, she says it this way. Jesus displayed his heart of welcome when he set out on a rescue mission 2,000 years ago. What a distance Jesus traveled. What an incomprehensible divide he crossed. In pursuit of you and me, he traded in his throne for a manger, his kingly majesty for skin in a frail body, in the transcendence of heaven for the tangibility of walking this earth so that humans might see him, touch him, and believe in him. That's our God. So I want to read this passage again, and then we'll tease it out for the next few minutes. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Unity. He's talking about unity. Let us be unified. In what? In this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Well, who wants to do that? Let each of you look not only for, uh, to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's really interesting. He says, care for yourself. What he's saying is, when the plane's going down, it's okay for you to put your oxygen mask on so that you might help those around you. Right? Care for yourself, but also for the interest of others. Have this Mine among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord to the glory of God the Father. I've probably referenced this this passage more than any other passage in all the years. It's just one of my favorites. And I remember we did a preaching lab years ago, and I remember um, somebody like concluded with this, and I said, look, the reality is every sermon you ever preach, you could end here. Every one, in terms of the application and implication. But here, we just get to tease the whole thing out. So, so here in verse 5 through 11, this is often referred to as the hymn of Christ. In some of your Bibles, uh, 5 through 11 is like kind of, uh, the margins are a little wider, which means it's a quote. It's, it's actually kind of a, a song of the day. One says it this way, Paul shows Christ's example of service in a poem that traces his pre-existence, his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of God. He wrote this robust, poetic um, theology to encourage the Philippians to consider other people's interest first. Jesus is the pattern of genuine spiritual progress. It's not a self-promoting struggle for supremacy, but for him, deep love for God and neighbor shown in deeds of service. So we'll look at three things, three ways that Jesus shows us incredible hospitality. And the first one is this. Jesus has forsaken his status. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The word grasped is sometimes translated, uh, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be exploited. He never became less than God. That's crystal clear, but he wasn't using his godness to exploit, to take advantage. He wasn't pleading to his status at all cost. Make no mistake, Jesus is fully God, and I want to give you some technical language. You can take a photo of this. This is kind of some definition of Trinity stuff, right? But uh, you can go ahead, throw that thing up there. Um, I know that your brain can't handle these words that I'm getting ready to say. I'm just going to lay them out here, and you can process later. Ask your group leader uh, about this. Just kidding. Seriously. Uh, Jesus is fully God. He is one person of the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. There is one and only one God, eternally existing and fully expressed in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each member of the Godhead is equally God Each is eternally God, and each is fully God. Not three gods, but three persons of the one Godhead. Crystal clear. Each person is equal in essence, as each possesses fully and simultaneously the identically same eternal divine nature, yet each is also an eternal and distinct personal expression of that one and undivided divine nature. Got it? I know what you're thinking, right? We've talked about this before, years ago. Oh, it must be like a pepperoni pizza, some say. And, and one is the pepperoni, and one is the cheese, and one is the sauce, or someone's the, the crust, or whatever. Um, or maybe you're saying, it's like, oh, it's like a, a three-leaf clover, also famously pointed to one clover, three leaves, each being part of that. Or, no, this one's the best, right? It's, it's ice, and it's water, and it's... 
vapor. Oh, there it is, right? And that would be, and, and this is what some say, those are all great uh, analogies and illustrations of heresy in one form of another, <laughs> right? Modalism, he's not like either vapor or ice. It's not like that. And so that's why I give you that robust thing to chew on and deal with. As you read uh, the word, read the gospels and see what you find to be true in those things. Here's the point. He had every right, every right, and yet Jesus didn't come to earth on a power trip to prove a point. He came in humility as a helpless baby who grew into a man, and he washed dirty feet, and he shed real tears, and he taught the way of his kingdom, and he died a cruel death at the hand of ignorant sinners like you and like me. He laid down his privilege that came from his identity as God. He was never less than God, never less than fully man. But he laid down the privilege. Look, I don't know if you're like into true crime stuff. Um, I'm not. But I'll, I'll just tell you one thing. Uh, there's this, th- these famous murders, the Murdoch murders uh, recently. And, and there's uh, this guy, his name's, well, he's one of the family members of of that family, and he was a circuit solicitor. I mean, he, he was an elected official, an elected prosecuting attorney, attorney, and his family had held that position since the 18th century. That's wild, right? Small town in South Carolina, lots of power. How can I put this kindly? He was not above reproach, all right? That's what I'll say publicly, because um, he is a prosecuting attorney, right? Um, <clears throat> he's in jail now. It's okay. So, so he was not above reproach. He had great influence in the small town, and he was given a badge as this elected official to like get him into courtrooms and stuff like that. But he would show up on crime scenes. In fact, one of them involved his son, and he would show up, and he would flash this badge, and he would put it away, and it would, it would be as if he were the authority on the scene, and he would dictate terms, and he would ask questions um, and, and he would demand access and, and treatment outside of his authority, right? Uh, he had no real authority, and yet he acted as if he did. It would be like a little kid getting onto a plane and the pilot giving him the little wings and saying, here you go, champ, here, sport, put this on your shirt, right? And then the next time when they stop at the airport, the kid walks into the cockpit and starts flipping switches, Right? No one wants it. He doesn't have any real authority. It, it was inflated authority. And to be completely clear, the human nature is we inflate our authority. We love to talk about all the things that we lead and all the things that we have authority over and all the ways that we're a big deal. Jesus wasn't flashing a badge. He wasn't demanding access and treatment outside of his authority. He had the clearance. He had the access. He could have been above the law, laws of physics, laws of biology, laws of man. He was no slave to sin or its demands, yet he laid down his legitimate status and he took on the status of another, a lowly sinner slave. That's what our God has done. So the question, what do you do with your status? Is it everything? Do you fight others to keep it, or or do you fight others to lay it down? Do you lie and manipulate to gain status in the eyes of this world? Do you self-promote? See, hard work is not an enemy of the gospel. It's easy to think that it is. It's not. 
Like making something of yourself in this country or in this world, that's not a bad thing, right? It's okay to do that. But if you're working to gain something that's already yours in Christ, the only gain you'll have long-term is disappointment, dissatisfaction. If, if Christ's example is the motivator and, and our unity with him by faith through his grace is the power, empowered by the spirit that takes residence in us at our unity with Christ's resume, then you, then we can live to use all that he's given us. Right? And to be completely clear, there are people in this room with loads of earthly status, like a lot. And there are people in this room with, with very little earthly status. And, and the reality is it, it doesn't matter by comparison. What does matter is what you do with what the Lord has given you. Second thing, Jesus has become a servant. Paul in Philippians says it this way, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. What is the lowest status in any culture? Historically, it is slave. The slave has no national rights. No human dignity, no personal autonomy of their own. They can't travel as they please. They can't go where they want to go. They, they can't call their own place home. They can't own land. They're laughed at, minimized, scoffed at, discarded, abused. And this aspect of Christ ex- expressed supremely on the cross is in fact a stumbling block for many who just cannot comprehend that their God would be void of power, void of authority, void of status, and, and, and even void of his own breath and ultimately his own life. Can't comprehend it. But, but here's the kicker. He was never void of any of that. He had all of that. He had the full house. He had the royal flush. He had the winning hand. He's God, yet he folded and he laid his cards down that he might lose for the victory of all that the Father had given him. See, he didn't just change his public status to servant. That's easy. He lived the life of a servant. And he washed feet, and he wept with the sick, and he partied with the outcasts, and he went out of his way to serve the lowly, and he elevated women in a culture that used them as commodities and property, and he gave hope to the poor, and he welcomed a seat at the table of God, those who otherwise went without. He could have nestled tightly with the powerful. In fact, he was tempted many times to be something according to human standards. He, he could have nestled tightly with the powerful. He could have made a name for himself according to the world. Instead, he picked fights with the powerful. He confronted them in their pride to demonstrate the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. And what of us? I thought this would be encouraging. I'm not sure that it is yet. We'll see. Do you demand to be served? Do you find ways to serve? 
Consider your, your days and your ways. When you, when you wake up in the morning before life happens, are you thinking, what can I get? Or are you thinking, what can I give? Are you an aloof sitcom dad demanding your menu for dinner? Showing up? When your wife tells you where you need to be? That's not serving. Men. Use a calendar and serve your wife. It's a crazy thought. Don't just show up when she's done all the work. Like a, like a sitcom dad, you don't have to be that stereotype. And certainly, wife, you don't have to be ultra controlling and minimizing your husband and all those things, but... but in, in a marriage, you get to serve one another by bearing weight significantly, caring for what the other person's doing, showing up, giving a rip, acknowledging what's happening, participating, and not just showing up with maybe the right clothes on. Careless teenager who, who dispenses laundry to every corner of your home, the one who leaves trash in places other than the trash can, who sets it on top of the trash can when it's full? You go to work or school? Like, like, are you the one always asking for a pencil? Listen to me. Be the one with a couple extra pencils. And you might think, what is it? That's not serving. That's just, no, it is. Because I bet if you're the one that shows up every single day without a pencil, you're demanding of others in a thousand ways that they're well aware of that you have no idea. Group projects, do you sit back, put your name on it at the end? <laughs> or do you say, look, I'm not great at whatever, but I'm here to do whatever, right? I can format the thing, or I can contribute, or I can do some research at work. Do you let other people deal with the stuff and you just sit back and take credit for it? Like, you get it. Every area, sphere of your life, you can either be the one that hangs the towel up where it goes <laughs> or you can throw it down and let someone else deal with it, right? And that's, that's true in a thousand different ways. But, but here is, here's the beauty. S serving is, is humility in action. Do you demand or do you lay down rights to build others up? The, the beauty is we are always serving. What a great thing. Every single one of us, we're always serving either yourself or others. And the call here, the command, is an invitation to serve others first. Serve others more than yourself. Esteem them at the expense of yourself. Serving is an action done. It's not an ideal. You can't have an ideal of serving. Yeah, my philosophy on serving is that stop. Like, do you pick stuff up? Or do you discard it and expect others to do that? It's, it's, it's an action done in response to slaying entitlement in your heart. 
And there's no better way to slay entitlement than to stare at the self-slaying servant, Christ the Lord. Thirdly, Jesus has humbled himself. He says it this way, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I remember I was 20 years old, working in a factory, having a conversation, trying to figure out what it looked like to be a Christian. I'd been a Christian for six years or whatever, and trying to figure out what it looked like to, to be a man and, and figure that out, and to be a man in a, a factory context with, with other men. This guy was twice my age, and, and he was claimed to be a follower of Jesus. And I remember we were talking about humility, and he said something that was incredibly arrogant, and half his age me was like, eh, that's, that's arrogant. Like, we could maybe demonstrate some humility. And he's like, humility? Like, like the word humiliation, like why would I want to be humiliated? Well, I, I guess I don't think that we would want to be humiliated. And yet, the invitation in this kingdom is that we walk as one humiliated in humility. Think about this reality, all powerful beyond comparison. Like when, when you get treated a little like, oh, you don't know who I am, or oh, that's funny, you didn't know that I was, uh, or, or the guy, uh, the, the, the men or the women on the show, Undercover Boss, where they show up and they get treated like they're just somebody else, and they're like, okay, all right, here's the thing, I'm not giving you uh, and your whole family college scholarships, right? When you get treated like that, it's, it's different, but, but look at this guy. Jesus, this is who Jesus is. Paul says to the church uh, in in Colossians chapter one, this is who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Think about that. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's who Jesus is. And he came as a baby, and he bought his time waiting to initiate his kingdom until he was in his 30s. And his first miracle, obviously, is infinite money. No, his first miracle, obviously, is is to turn the school bully into a toad. No. His first miracle was was to use some, some magic to win the girl. No. He turned water to wine because his mom urged him to, to serve the guests at a wedding. And he taught as one having authority like no other. And he he did that from a throne seated in the clouds. No, he didn't. Do you know where he did that? He, He showed up in local gatherings of God's people and he opened the book And he proclaimed truth. Subtle, but determined in mission. He came to save the world. And he did just that 
in just the way that God intended, and he did it with all humility, laying down, and here's the thing, he will return, and he will judge the living, and he will judge the dead, and none will stand against him, and all who are his will be called the children of God by grace through faith in Christ alone, and all who are not his will be cast out to the lake of fire. Humility is, is more than lowly thinking. Like you can be confident, yet not prideful. It's, it's what you place your confidence in and, and what you do with your success and what you do with your failure that makes all the difference. <clears throat> Paul Tripp, he uh, he, he wrote kind of a, a lengthy article on humility, and I, I want to share a bit of what he said. He says, do you value humility? If I would watch the video of your, of your life over the last six weeks, that's always frightening. I hate when people say stuff like that. It's like, oh gosh. Would I see somebody who values humility? Are you impatient with others? Do you ask, uh, do you have to be in control? Now oh, this is, this is tough. Do you like telling your story more than hearing the stories of others? Man, sidebar, if there's one thing I would tell you, you leave today and say, you know what, I, I want to grow in humility, I would say this. Ask more questions, give less answers. Just practice that as a way of life. Do you complain the minute life is a bit uncomfortable? Do you get mad when somebody decides to disagree with you? Is your life a life of humility? And then he goes on, he quotes uh, Peter, who says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. He says, I love that, clothe yourself. It's that physical image of deciding what you're going to wear, right? Many of you, not all of you, take great care in what you put on your body, right? What your hair looks like, you look in the mirror, you look, you try again, you change shoes, change pants, train, change, whatever it is. And, and the encouragement here is, what if you did that instead of inspecting your external appearance and you were sifting your heart? And the mirror wasn't something revealing your re reflection, but it, was, but it was the word of God. What if that? That's wild. You can fix your hair too, that's fine. Uh, he says, these external garments that you put on to go out and join the world. He says, clothe yourself with humility. And then, then this is Paul Tripp, he, he gives six uh, kind of things. Here's the humble self-view of the Christian life. Ready? I am the biggest problem. I know, I know what you're thinking. She was right. She isn't always right. But, but Taylor Swift is right. Like, I, it's me. Hi, hi, I'm the problem. It's me. That, that's the most... The, I think I can say, the most theologically accurate, rich, and true thing Taylor Swift has ever said. I'm the problem. Do you start there? No matter what your relationship with Jesus is like right now, I mean, if you just start right there, you are starting at a good place. Hi, it, it's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. I can't solve this problem myself. It's not within me, something outside of me. I'm in desperate need of rescue. 
See, all these are just one to the other. I'm the biggest problem, and I can't solve that problem, and I'm in desperate need of rescue outside of myself. Further, I'm not wired to live well in isolation from others. I know, oh, I'm an introvert. You don't, I get it. I don't like people either. I'm just kidding, (laughs) probably, sometimes. The older I get, the more I like to be away from people. I have to fight that. Because I'm not wired to live well in isolation from others. I need others in my life. Life is, after all, man, it's about very few other things, but it is about people. I need wisdom, experience, and insight that I do not have. Gosh, what if you just said that? There are things that I need from others, from the Lord, from the Spirit, that I don't have within me right now. And at no time before I cross over into eternity will I ever be a grace graduate. That means that all these things are true. And the essence of this is that, that I need God's saturating grace morning, noon, and night, and everywhere in between in all of my life. Pride is the mortal enemy of grace, and grace is the key to unlocking the humble life. So Jesus opens wide the door of hospitality, meeting the humble wherever they are. And you might say, okay, well, what does that, what does any of this have to do with, with, with pregnant, shaken, disoriented Kim in the dark, unprepared, no wheelchair having, inhospitable hospital that night? Well, Jesus would stop at nothing, not even death, to open wide the doors of hospitality. And he didn't open his life, he didn't open his table, and he didn't open the kingdom doors to the worthy. There are none. But he he opened those things to the unworthy. Hi, that's me. Each of these statements, status, servant, humility, they all have to do with one thing, and it's people. All of these things have to do with people. They're they're having to do with relationships with others, how Christ relates to us and others. Status, you can't have status. If you're on an island all by yourself, there is no status. There's no social order. But you're not on an island all by yourself. There are people around you. If you're on an island all by yourself, the idea of serving, it's hard to do because there's no one there to serve. The idea of humility, what does that look like regarding how we serve ourselves, our God, and others? Here's the reality. We have been given so much. We are co-heirs. Look, this is for those who are in Christ. Those who at some point said, hi, Lord, I'm the problem. It's me. And the help that I need can't come from my hands. It must come from your hands. And so we embrace the reality that we've been talking about this whole day, the reality of Christ on a cross. He died in our place to welcome us in. And he, he busted out of the grave to show us what it looks like to invite us unified in his victorious life by the same spirit that empowered him to live faithfully before the cross and faithfully after the cross. 
That's the invitation. And so this is true for those who are in Christ. You've trusted him. For those who have not done that, this is, this is not true. But, but for those who are in, we have been given so much. We are co-heirs with Jesus in his kingdom. We have been welcomed into the fullness of life, eternal life with God and eternal life with his people. We do have the rights given by God as his children. We are esteemed and exalted by Christ's life and his death and his work and the last thing I want us to do is squander that gift by keeping it to ourselves. When we together hoard the generosity of Christ as our own, we forget the gospel. We forget the good news. We forget what's true. But when our hearts are melted by grace, we are prone and even defaulted to give, to serve, to walk in humility, to walk in generosity, to open wide our homes, to open wide our lives, our struggles, our bank accounts, our successes, our dinner tables, our friend groups, our inside jokes, our insider language, and make room for those who don't have what we have, namely Christ and his people. And what Paul's saying in this Philippians passage is put on these lenses. Be unified in these realities. So for today... Let us consider the ways that our own lives reflect Christ's hospitality to us. And let us begin to consider how our lives together, even in this room, in 15 minutes, when Pastor Scott comes up and he declares a benediction and you can leave. And in that moment, you, you serve yourself and your own interest. Or you serve the greater interest to those around you in this room. How do you consider your neighbor in a room like this? How do you consider your neighbor when you're by yourself, when you're in your own home, or wherever you might find yourself? The bank can come on up. Here's the, here's the reality. There is no guilt in any of this. All this is is what Christ has done for us. It's not guilt heaping. This is the seed of joy in your life. And I'll heap guilt over the next three weeks and talk about all the ways that we are not that. Just kidding, probably. But what we get to do today is, man, respond with joy. Say, God, would you just crumble me? All the self in me, would you just, would just crumble me? Would you just wring me out and fill me with your intoxicating love and joy in all of the things that are mine because of these things that we declared today because they are true. So I'll close out this way. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus, the friend of sinners. That's true to us, and by God's grace, that's true through us. Right? We get to respond. You can sit where you are. You can stand up sing, sit over by that prayer bench. Someone would love to pray with you over there. If you're in Christ, you've been welcomed into his family, into his table. You're invited to take communion, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. And we get to drink that in remembrance of him, his body broken, his blood spilled. If you're not in Christ, that's not for you. We are for you. We would love to chat with you about this Jesus. Pray with me. God, thanks for your goodness and your grace, your kindness. Thanks for the ways that you welcome us. Would you empower us? Give us a clear vision. Even right now, would you, would you cut out 
the, the guilt and the shame in hearts and minds? And would you just invite us into joy? Show us what it looks like as individuals and as a people together to join your work of welcome hospitality. In Jesus' name, amen.